In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the joy of family and thank you for, for your word. Thank you for the entrance of your word brings light. It illuminates our paths. It breaks yokes. It lifts burdens. It challenges us. It convicts us. It, it prepares us for life, Heavenly Father. And let it do that and more, O oh God, as we just share your word. We give you all the praise and glory. Sweet Holy Spirit, just come upon all of us and, and, and be the catalyst uh, for what we say and what we hear in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. We want to continue our series um, about the Holy Spirit. And today we want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And if you want a subtitle to that, it would be how to change your reality. Yeah, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, how to change your reality. And we're going to take our texts, at least the, this, the foundation text, from the beginning of the Bible. And frankly, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what God does and it will provide a mirror for what we do in our own lives to, to, to help us do what God did. And Genesis 1 verse 1, the Bible says, and I'm reading from the Amplified Classic. I'll read it from a few versions. I'll try and, um, if I don't forget, I'll try and let you know what version I'm reading from when I do. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic, um, but whatever version you have. In the beginning, God prepared, formed, fashioned, and created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and, and an empty waste and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. It starts by telling us what actually has happened. In the beginning, God prepared, formed and created the heavens and the earth. It was done. But then it goes back to tell us how that process, what the process was and how we arrived at the place where God had created the heavens and the earth. And it starts by painting a graphic picture for us of what was, or in a sense of the canvas that God had before him on which he wanted to paint this picture uh, create what we have come to know as the heavens and the earth, what we admire when we look around and we see the handiwork of God in the, in the, in the skies and the stars and the galaxies and the planets and the mighty oceans and the rivers and the streams and, and the trees and the, and the animals and, and all the many other things that point to the awesomeness of God. But then God started that process with this reality 
The reality was that what he had was without form an empty waste and darkness was over the face of it. And I want to read to you what some other translations say because I want us to get a picture of this canvas. Because when we look at what is now, we can forget what was. And so the CV translation says the earth was barren with no form of life. It was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness. But the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. The CEB translation says, The earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. And I love the message. The message says, Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's Spirit brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. The Good News Bible says, The earth was formless and desolate. The raging ocean that covered everything was engulfed in total darkness, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. The Jubilee Bible says, And the earth was without order and empty, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The TLV translation says, Now the earth was chaos and waste. Darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Ruach Elohim was hovering over the surface of the water. There are certain words that help us paint that picture for us to understand the canvas, what God had before him, the state of things, what things actually existed. The Bible says that it was without form. It was without shape. It was an empty waste. The Bible says it was barren. It was desolate. It was without order. One translation says it was chaos. The message says it was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness. One translation says no form of life. And certainly all the translations tell us that it was covered by darkness. To use the language of the message, it was an inky blackness. That paints a picture. This is what was before God. This was the reality. It wasn't something that was imagined. It was what actually existed. Prior, prior to the creation, the creation that we know, this is what was. It was desolate. It was empty. It was a wasteland. It was barren. It had no order. It had no form. It had no shape. It was a, a, a nothingness. It was a bottomless emptiness. It had no form of life. It was dark. And you know, sometimes any of those words could apply to a situation we find ourselves in, circumstances we're dealing with, and sadly so, some of those words might apply to a person's life at a point in time. For we could imagine a life that seems to be wasting, a life that seems to be barren, a life that seems to be desolate. Sometimes, we can imagine circumstances that seem chaotic. We can imagine where there is no fruitfulness. We can imagine where it seems dark, where you can't, you can't visualize what the next stage is, where there is no vision. We can imagine something that has no shape or no form, where in a circumstance where we are wondering what exactly is happening. It simply doesn't add up. It doesn't line up to what God says concerning our lives. 
And God had an intention. His intention, of course, is, is, is made clear to us in Genesis, the first chapter from verses 26 to 28. His intention was to create this masterpiece called man. He was going to make man in his image and his likeness. This was the crowning glory of his creation. But then he couldn't create man with his present reality. He couldn't create man and put man into this wasteland, into this dark place, into this barren place. It would have been impossible for man to do all that he wanted man to do. Man could not have achieved his optimum if he was put in this wasteland. And so God had to do something. He needed to create a new reality. In the same way that you and I sometimes need to create a new reality, what exists simply does not line up with the word of God. We can't accept it. It isn't what God planned for us. It isn't God's plan that the nation that we are in should descend into apostasy. No, it is not God's plan. We have to create a new reality. Sickness is not God's plan. We have to create a new reality. To find ourselves in certain places where we know that this does not line up with the word of God, we have to believe that it is possible to create a new reality. What happens on our streets now where young people are stabbing young people is not God's plan. We have to create a new reality. It is real. It exists. But then we don't have to accept it. We have to find out how can we create a new reality. Can someone say amen? amen? And that was God's intention. He had to change this reality. For, for, for real, it was dark, it was barren, it was empty, it was a wasteland, it, it was, there was chaos, but it had to change. And the lesson for us today is how did it change? Because if we are made in the image and likeness of God, however God changed it, we can change our own reality by learning from Him. And so how did it change? The first thing, of course, is that we must accept the supremacy of Christ. We must understand that that change did not come about without Christ. That Christ, Jesus Christ, was central to the change that we see as we look at God changing that chaos and changing that void and getting rid of that darkness. Jesus Christ was central to that. The Bible helps us understand that. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. This is the New Living Translation. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Through him, God created everything. So what we're about to see, the process of creation, the change that took place, the reality that was changed primarily started and was done through him, through Jesus Christ. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. 
He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Amen? And so Christ is central to any change in our reality. He was central to the change that took place that is recorded for us in the Bible. He, the Bible says that it was done through him. The Bible actually says he existed before it. So before the barrenness, before the wasteland, before the chaos, before the darkness, Christ existed. And in a sense, we understand that because the fulfillment of that for you and I, we find as New Testament believers in John the third chapter, verses three to, four, three to five. We know the background to the story. Nicodemus goes to ask Jesus questions about life and eternal life, the kingdom of God. And verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What was Jesus saying? You can't experience the power of the kingdom. You don't have a right or the privilege of experiencing that dimension of the kingdom of God, the miraculous working power of God, the, the, the manifestations of God in our lives. You don't have a right for it to it. You don't have a privilege of experiencing it except you are a child of God. He says you have to be born again to experience the fullness of the kingdom. You have to give your life to Christ. You have to accept him as Lord and Savior. God has to become your father. And when God becomes your father, he takes, he takes on responsibility for your life. You have to be born again. And so if we're going to see our reality changed, it starts from the premise of being a child of God, being born again. It's not enough to attend a church. It's not enough to, to say the right things. It's not enough to read the Bible. You have to be born again. You have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That puts you in God's family and makes God himself responsible for you and for your life. Can someone say amen to that? As the apostles put it in Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles, the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If we don't accept him as Lord and Savior, we don't have a right to ask him to be involved in the process of creating a new reality for us. We must accept him as Lord and Savior, you have to be born again. Amen? And so in creation, Jesus was there, central, in much the same way that in our lives, for us to have that power of creation released into our lives, he must be there, central. We must accept him as Lord and Savior. The second thing is that, as the Bible says in the Scriptures, the Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. Don't forget 
what we're trying to learn is how do we change our present reality where we feel it does not line up with God's word or where God has made it clear to us by his spirit that this is not my plan. Where we know that this isn't what God has in store for us. How do we change that reality? Number one, of course, is that Christ must be central to that process of change. It cannot be done outside him. Outside him, we must rely on our own strength, but in him, we can receive grace to be able to do what we would not be able to do under normal circumstances. Christ is central. Number two, the Spirit of God was brooding, hovering, moving over what God was about to do. God was about to do something, but critical to that was the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was moving over the face of what God was going to do. And I love those three words because they paint the picture that I'm trying to get across. That the Holy Spirit was moving. The Holy Spirit was in motion. The Holy Spirit was operational, was active, was working. If we're going to see our reality change, then that must be our testimony that in our lives, the Holy Spirit is moving, he's, he's, he's active, he's operational, he's working. We must have given him the space to do so. We must have paid the price. And often the price is just waiting for him and, 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 and waiting in him and believing that he will do what God says he will do. He will move, he will be active, he will be operational. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was hovering. It, 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 it was poised over. In a sense, he created a canopy over what was about to happen. And if you remember when we told the story of the pillar of cloud and the, uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night, it gave that picture of the Spirit of God covering his people. And so wherever the people went, the pillar of cloud covered them. And so it created a different atmosphere for them from what was happening for, the, for those who were outside the covering. At night, the pillar of fire kept them warm and kept their enemies away from them because it, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It creates a covering. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit was brooding. And I love the way the message translation puts it in verse 2. It says, God's Spirit brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. And you, you get the picture of this bird that spreads its wings over what it is brooding over. And by the time you put all these words together, you get a sense of, some tingling sense of expectation. Something is about to happen. Something is being birthed as the Spirit of God moves and, and broods and, and hovers over the, those circumstances. And that's the picture we get at the beginning of the Bible. That over this chaotic mass, this thing that doesn't look like what God wants it to look like, this thing that has to be changed, this reality that must become a new reality. We know, of course, Christ is already there. He existed before that chaotic mass came into being. And then we also know that the Spirit of God is there. He's brooding over this. He's poised over this. He's, he's, he's already moving. He's, he's in action. He's beginning to begin to put into place God's plans for that reality to change. And then the process of change starts. And how does this process of change come about? This is the third thing. It comes about by God's word. So Christ is there. 
The Spirit of God is there. He's created an atmosphere for the miraculous to happen, an atmosphere for the power of God to be manifest, and then God begins to speak God's word. The Bible says in verse 3, then God said, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. The Bible says in verses 6 and 7, then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And the Bible says, and that is what happened. And over and over again, we hear that God spoke, and exactly as God said, it came to pass. And so we see a picture of God beginning to change the reality by the word that he spoke. But of course, the Spirit of God is already hovering over what is about to happen to be the catalyst for change, to, to be the, the energy that brings about change, the force from heaven, the, the, the part of the Trinity that is the change. Not a force as in something amorphous, but the force of a person, the force of God, the person of God that brings about the change. And we read, as we continue reading verses four, verse, verse 11, then God said, now all this was changing simply by what God said. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And the Bible says, and that is what happened. Now, this is fascinating, that this whole chaotic mass, this formlessness, this void, this darkness, this barrenness, all of a sudden was being transformed. If you were there, you would have been wide-eyed as you watched in amazement as words came forth, and as the words came forth, what you were observing was changing right before your eyes. So... A few minutes ago, it's all black. It's darkness. The Bible says an inky blackness. But suddenly you hear the words, let there be light. And suddenly the darkness starts to dissipate and light comes forth. You're looking at this barren wasteland and there are no plants, there are no shrubs, there are no trees. But suddenly you hear the voice, let the land sprout with vegetation. And then right before your eyes, the wasteland starts to change and vegetation starts to come up simply because the word of God has been spoken. And right before your eyes, time and time after time, the word is spoken. Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind in verse 20. And right before your eyes, skies that were empty and barren, birds just appear. Suddenly, the water that was empty, all kinds of lovely, colorful fishes, big and small, suddenly appear. And how were they created? Because the word of God was spoken. And you can go on and on and on, so that by the end, this creation as we know it, as colorful as it is, as awe-inspiring awe as it is, was created because God spoke and it responded to the word that God spoke. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. 
And at the end, verse 25, God looked at it and the Bible says God saw that it was good. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews wanted us to understand in Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the third verse. He says, by faith, by, by trusting God, by believing what was said, by believing what God said, we understand by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Everything that we see came into being by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God spoke the word and suddenly it was there. Right before our eyes as we read the Bible, the reality was changed and totally transformed by the word of God that was spoken by the spirit of God with Christ being the, 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 the creator, the agent of creation. The psalmist puts it like this in Psalms 33, verse 6. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed his word and all the stars were born. Can someone say amen? amen. And so we understand that if we are made in the image and likeness of God, then of course God expects that we should do the same. He expects that we speak and it's created. Not our own words, but his words. We basically just continue from where he, where he stopped. By his word, the worlds were framed and created. By his word, I can frame my world today and I can create my world to match up with what his word says my world should match up to. Can someone say amen to that? And it is by his word. And he has given us that word. In the same way that he has given us the spirit, the moment we give our lives to Christ, and in the same way that he has, his son has given us his life, so that we can find ourselves in that place where we speak the word and we create our world. Amen? As long as it doesn't line up with God's word, then I have to believe that I have the power of God in me by his spirit to make sure that this lines up with God's word. It must fulfill God's plans and God's purposes. Amen? And that's what Paul was trying to drive home to his protege, Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verses 16 and 17 as he was trying to get Timothy to understand that these, these, these are God's words. These are not mere words. He says this. He says, this is the Passion Translation. He says, every scripture, someone say with me, every scripture. Every. Go on, say it boldly. Every scripture. every scripture, every word in the Bible, not some, not the ones that we like, not the ones that we say readily, but every scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. The Bible that we have, every scripture in it is inspired by the Spirit of God. So if we read the obvious ones, and we avoid the ones that 
we, I mean, somebody says, what on earth am I going to get in Leviticus? Who is Nahum? Habakkuk sounds like the new cologne by Christian Dior. And Revelations is just so much Star Wars gizmo, I don't understand it. So guess what most Christians do? They stay in the ones that they're comfortable with. So everybody knows Philippians 4.19. Everybody knows Psalms 91 and everybody knows Psalms 23. But you ask about Amos. You ask maybe about Judges. Certainly Revelations, you would, you would be surprised that half the church in the world has never read the book of Revelations. But the Bible says every scripture. So it means that there is something in the shedding of blood in Leviticus that if I understand by Revelation can change my life. It means that every word, there is no word in the Bible that is of no use. Every scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Of course it was written by men. Of course it was written through the lenses of men. Of course sometimes the Holy Spirit allows the character of the people who wrote it for us to see it on the pages. But the author of the Bible is the Spirit of God. He had a message for you and I in every scripture. And so he goes on to say, because every scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. How do I take the right direction? How am I empowered to cope? How do I deal with life's challenges? How do I change this reality? How do I overcome how do I live more than a conqueror? The Bible says that it is by the scripture that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the word and by the spirit. And then the Bible goes on to say you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives to you. What was God's instruction to the young man as he was embarking on this journey? Stepping into the shoes of a man who was larger than life in Joshua, the first chapter and the eighth verse. It's the same thing that Paul was saying to Timothy. Said in a different way, but what was his instruction? How, how am I successful? How do I overcome? How do I ensure that I live a fulfilled life? How do I deal with all the challenges that come my way? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, and you shall be careful to do all that it says. That's why a church that is not in the book, in the Bible, by the Spirit of God, is a church that will be flabby, will be weak, and will be unable to contend with the enemy, and will be unable to play its part in driving the kingdom of God forward. You know, the church, 21st century church, certainly in the Western world, will become really so technologically advanced that we want to be like the world. We want everything in sound bites. You know, we want to cook the meal quickly. And you know, if you do food the way I do food, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a foodie, so when I fast, heaven knows that I fast. 
And someone said to me, but you fast a lot. I said, I don't fast because I enjoy fasting. Trust me, if you have found another way, let me know so that we can end this fasting. But I fast because I just know that some things are not going to change except by prayer and fasting. But if, you, if you're a foodie like me, then you don't like microwave food that comes, that they bung into a microwave. All this food that people buy that they cook in two or three minutes. I, I, I said to my wife, shall I, I said, the food has no soul in it. When you eat some food, you know it has soul in it. The person who cooked it, their soul is inside this food. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and food that has soul takes time. You can't cook it in two minutes or three minutes. No, 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 no. It takes time. And it's the same with the Word of God. There is, you have to spend time. Time with the Word, time with the Spirit. And it looks like time is the one thing we don't have. But quality time is necessary. So that we can experience the fullness of God and enter that dimension of kingdom power. Can someone say amen? amen. So as I end, what are the things that we need to do to change our reality? We're looking at this thing and we're saying, no, 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 no. This is not God's plan. This wasteland is not God's plan. This desolation is not God's plan. This barrenness is not God's plan. It doesn't line up with the word of God. It is not what the spirit of God has told me. It isn't the picture that God has painted in my heart. So what do we do? Number one, of course, we must be born again. Without being born again, we can't even see the kingdom not to talk about entering the kingdom and not to talk about accessing the power of the kingdom. It is the privilege of the children of God, the power of the kingdom of God, because they have become citizens of the kingdom. There are rights and privileges that accrue to citizens of any kingdom in the natural. It is no different from the spiritual. That's why people will give an arm and a leg People will get, come across Africa and risk their lives. Know that there's a great likelihood they're going to die crossing the, the, the sea to get to Italy or, or Europe. But they, they so desperately want what are the rights and privileges that exist in Italy that they are ready to risk their lives. And unfortunately, so many have died as they cross from North Africa. What's driving them? It's the rights and privileges that, that they get when they get there. And people will do that to get a, 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 a red EEC passport. You and I have the ultimate passport. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. The privileges are awesome for us. Awesome for us. Awesome. Because we are children of our heavenly father, citizens of the kingdom of God. You can't have that except you're born again. So, of course, we have to be born again. And number two, we have to create a, what I call an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Spirit brooding, the Spirit hovering, the Spirit moving. The message presents that picture to us of this bird that stretches its wings and covers what is about to happen. Now, of course, when we give our lives to, to Christ, the Spirit of God is in us. But to move in the realm of the miraculous, so that it becomes a day-to-day -day occurrence, so that we're experiencing the power of God, 
in dimensions that we couldn't even have imagined on a day-to-day -day basis. We're, we're hearing God. We're moving in God. We're moving with the Spirit of God. For that to happen, we mustn't just have the Spirit of God in us, but we must have the Spirit of God in us and we must be immersed in the Spirit of God. And that's the picture the Bible creates, where we create this atmosphere, an atmosphere for healing, an atmosphere for the miraculous. That's why when you understand that, you understand how precious that presence of God is, you will do everything to make sure that nothing affects that presence of God. You will be at peace with all men. You will avoid sin. You will avoid certain places where you sense that the Spirit of God is just not, is uneasy going into those places. You will avoid certain kinds of conversations. You know, sometimes you finish having a conversation with someone and you know something has happened. It's not exactly the same as it was when we started that conversation. And that's because the conversation might have been toxic. It might have been gossip. The things that don't please the Spirit of God. You'll understand what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 30, that we mustn't grieve the Spirit of God. We mustn't sadden the Spirit of God. We mustn't vex the Spirit of God. That presence becomes heaven to us. And you will do everything to keep that presence because you understand that that presence is the atmosphere for the miraculous, wonder-working power of God. And you'll do everything that you, you can to keep that atmosphere. You'll spend time nurturing that atmosphere. Time talking to the Holy Spirit. Time ensuring that that atmosphere becomes the norm for you. So wherever you go, you're carrying that atmosphere with you. Of course, you get on with day-to-day -day life, but you're carrying the presence with you as you do so. Can someone say amen? amen. Number three. You create a reservoir of God's word in you. Look at the scriptures, Hebrews 11 verse 3. The Bible says that, in Hebrews 11 verse 3, it says, By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. You know, sometimes we misread that scripture. We think that God created, and I've heard, heard some of us say that, I've heard people say that, that God created the world from nothing. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God created the world from things which are not visible. It doesn't mean from things that don't exist. So what did God create the world from? Because you must build something from something. You can't create something from nothing. And God didn't create something from nothing. God created something from things that we couldn't see with our natural eyes, but they existed. And what were these things that existed? They were his thoughts, his intent. It's not natural. We can't see it with our natural eyes, but trust me, it existed. He wasn't speaking out of a void. He was speaking from what was already on his mind. This is what I want. And in, in the same way, if we are going to change our realities, we our reality, we must have a reservoir that God can reach into, and it's the reservoir of God's word. We must have stored his word in our hearts. We must have read his word, studied his word, and stored it in our hearts. The creation doesn't come about because of our own words. 
The enemy does not understand and doesn't care about our own words. What he cares about is the word of God. That's why it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's your offensive weapon in the war that we're engaged in. That's how we take territory for God, because we have a reservoir of the word of God. We are reading the Bible, studying the Bible. We are storing, storing it in us for the day that we need that word. And the challenge the church has today is that there is very little Bible in the church. We are good at organizing. We are good at so many things. But we are, we are not good, I think, at the things that matter. The core things of prayer and the word of God. And sometimes Bible study is not exciting. That's why it's study. But you know that I have to keep at it. I have to be diligent. Because I must create a reservoir in me of the word of God. Because I can't change anything except I am speaking the word of God. True prayer at, its most, at the purest, most basic form is taking back to God what he has said he will do and believing that he will do it. And so if we don't have the word in us, we can't overcome in life. We can't be more than conquerors. We can't fulfill God's plans and purposes. We can't live that life of abundance that we're promised here. We can't be victorious because we don't have a reservoir of the word of God in us. If we don't have the word of God in us, the tools, the, 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 the things that are needed to create a new reality don't exist. Because the seen was created by the unseen. The visible was created by the invisible. But it was created by something. And that is the word of God. God wasn't speaking from a void. He was speaking his intent and his mind. And he was framing his intent and his mind in words. And the words were achieving God's plans and God's purposes. The best thing you can do for yourself is follow that old, that old song that we were taught in Sunday school. Read your Bible, pray every day. Every day, you have to read your, read your Bible. Every single day. Because, of course, you're, you get to know God as you read the Bible. You get to build faith as you read the Bible. You get to store in you a reservoir of, of God's word for the day that you will need to speak it. Number four, we then have to speak the word as prompted by the Spirit of God. It's, 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 it's rather simple in a sense. You change your reality by speaking the word of God by the Spirit of God. That's why you declare to that circumstance that you just have to change because you don't line up with the word of God. You find the scriptures. You create the atmosphere so that the Spirit of God comes upon the scripture and brings it alive. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are not mere words, they are spirit and they are life. God says, I watch over my word to bring it to completion. 
You get a picture of God sitting in heaven, looking around the earth and saying, which of my children has created an atmosphere for my spirit and is speaking the word? I must watch over that word that is spoken. It must come to completion. The word that you speak of God will not fall to the ground. It will achieve the purpose for which it was spoken. But you have to speak the word. You have to declare the word. You have to confess the word. And you know the game the enemy has played? He's made a lot of the church feel foolish about the one thing that works. So you say to people, declare the word. And they do it in a way that tells you they're a bit embarrassed. No, speak the word. When you wake up in the morning, you speak the word into your day. When you sleep at night, you speak the word. I will lay down my head and I will wake up because you have sustained me. That's good for the night. It's the word of God. And so we speak the word prompted by the Spirit of God. The Bible says as we end in John 14 verse 26, this is the Amplified Classic, John 14 verse 26, but the Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, the Intercessor, the Advocate, the Strengthener, the Standby, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things. And he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. What was Jesus doing? He was preparing the disciples for life without him. He was saying to them, in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm going. But when I go, we won't leave you alone. One translation says we won't leave you desolate. He says, we're sending someone to represent me. He says, on my behalf, the Holy Spirit. And he did go. That was the reality. He, they saw him go. They were witnesses. He went up to heaven. And the Bible tells us that he's seated on the right hand of, of the Father in the ministry of intercession for you and I. And aren't you glad that your main intercessor is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I mean, it's great if Pastor Mark is praying for you. Everybody knows Pastor Mark is passionate in prayer. It's great if Pastor Nick is praying for you. He heads our prayer ministry. Um, you, 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 of course, if Pastor Denrile was praying for you, you'd be overjoyed. But guess what? Jesus is praying for you. That should, that should, that's cause to celebrate. Can someone celebrate that? That's your main intercessor. That's his ministry now. He's, he's finished with his work. But he hasn't finished with the work, even though he's finished with his work. He's at the right hand of God interceding for you and I. What a comforting thought that I'm not alone, that Jesus himself is interceding for me. But then when he went, the work continues. We must continue to press on. We must continue to advance the kingdom. We must continue to live an overcoming life. We must continue to touch others with the gospel. We must continue to preach the gospel. We must continue to impact with the life of Christ. How do we do that? He says, don't worry about that. I'm going, but we're sending a representative in my stead, on my behalf. And he's the Holy Spirit. And he says, what he's going to do is he's going to teach you all things. And thank God for great teachers. But thank God for the ultimate teacher that the Holy Spirit is. You know, why people get into error and why people are manipulated is because the people haven't developed an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God. 
Because when you have an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God, the moment you hear error, you know it is error. The Spirit confirms to you it is error. The teacher in the Spirit tells you that what you're being taught is wrong. That's why when churches want to manipulate people, they never introduce them to the Holy Spirit. Because if they don't, then men can stand in the stead of the Holy Spirit and manipulate people's minds. But once you introduce people to the Holy Spirit, you literally make yourself redundant. So I've made myself redundant here in this church by making sure that you know the teacher. Since he teaches us all things. But then where I was going as I end is that he brings all things to our remembrance. He reminds us about what I have said, Jesus said. So this is the challenge. Because God is not spooky, and he's not a magician, he works in a, by processes and principles. He says the way the Holy Spirit will work is that he will remind you, bring to your recall, cause you to remember, now, if my language serves me correctly, for you to remember, it means that you knew and you forgot. To be reminded of something means that you were aware, but it slipped to the recesses of your mind, and now you need to be reminded. So if you don't have it in you, you never came across it. You don't know that it exists. You never read it one morning then how can he remind you of what you never knew? So that's the challenge. We're expecting God to become a magician. And God is saying, no, 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 I don't work like that. Read it, and if you like, forget it. When we want it so that it can become a force of creation, a power to create, I will send the Spirit of God who is already in you, and he will remind you of what you read and you forgot. That's why sometimes in the midst of a challenge, in the midst of a battle, suddenly a scripture comes to mind. And it's almost like you are in the war and the enemy is coming against you. And you have no weapons against him. But because you have the word in you, the spirit drops a sword, the sword of the spirit, the word of God in your hand, and suddenly you're armed against the enemy. But if you don't have the word in you, what do we expect to happen? That's why you have to create a reservoir of the word in you for the day of adversity, for the day of battle, to be able to advance the kingdom of God, to be able to change your reality, because it is changed by the word of God. So it is the word that you have in you that you can, you can confront a reality that does not line up with God's word and say to that reality, you must change to line up with the word of God. Can someone say amen? amen. Hallelujah. And it's because you have the word in you that he can bring it to your remembrance. The spirit of God activates the word. He breathes upon it. It comes to life. It's a sword that's dropped in your hand. And you can go to battle against the enemy. Can someone say amen? amen? Amen. We change our reality by those processes. That's how we change our reality. That's how God changed his reality. This thing that he was looking at could not achieve his plans and purposes. He changed it by speaking the word, by the spirit of God, with Christ, the central person in the creation.
Hallelujah. Amen. Are you excited about this? Amen. Are you looking forward to changing some things? Amen. You know, I want to give you an assignment. I want to give you an assignment. And I'm going to ask about it next week. I want you to read Psalms 119. And I pray the Spirit of God will come over you as you read that psalm. Or those psalms. Those scriptures. It will change your perspective totally on the Word of God. This Word of God, by the Spirit of God, is powerful. It's your privilege. It's my privilege. We're children of God. He's given us His Word. Giving us his spirit. We have the name of Jesus. We, we have no reason to fail. We achieve God's plans and God's purposes. Amen? Amen? And whatever doesn't look like God, it doesn't line up. The spirit of God confirms to us. Of course, sometimes we're going through challenges and we know. But even then, it, we must go through it exactly how God wants us to go through it. It must conform to the word of God. Can someone say amen? Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We glorify your name. Oh, let's just spend a minute or two just reverence the Spirit of God. Reverence the Spirit of God. We, we can create an atmosphere for God to move in this sings in the background why don't you just start to address certain situations certain circumstances that you know by the word and by the spirit they don't line up with God's plan and God's purpose why don't you start to believe God that you can start to change that reality now in this service you don't have to wait to leave here you can address it it has to bow to the name of Jesus. It has to conform to the word of God. It has to align with what the spirit of God has told you. Go on. Why don't you just start speaking? Speaking to that situation. God spoke to it. Spoke to it by his word. Go on. If you have a word in your heart, if the spirit of God brings a word to your heart, then just begin to declare it. 
begin to confess that word begin to speak it into that situation anyone who's here who hasn't taken that first step you haven't given your life to Christ you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior you haven't given yourself to this household of God you haven't received the free gift of salvation if you would just slip your hand up wherever you are I would love to pray with you. You want to give your life to Jesus? Slip your hand up wherever you are. I would love to pray with you. And if you're online and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you would just follow the instructions on the screen. You want to accept him as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step before you can enter this place where you can change your reality. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Go and slip it up, slip it up, slip it up, wherever you are. Slip it up. I see that hand. Slip it up. Anybody else? Can I have a member of the ministry team, one of the pastors? Go over to the lady. Anybody else? Anybody else? Slip it up, slip it up, wherever you are. Online, you want to just follow those instructions. Are there any hands in the foyer? Slip your hand up. Any hands in the gallery, slip your hands up wherever you are. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the power and the authenticity of your word. Sweet Holy Spirit, help us to, to reverence you and to, to create that atmosphere constantly for the wonder-working power of God to be manifest in our lives. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus name and together we say Amen, Amen go and give God a clap offering, go on, hallelujah go and celebrate the Son celebrate the Father celebrate the Spirit of the Most High God oh we bless you, we bless you we bless you we bless you we bless you, hallelujah hallelujah